2: For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15. Jesus invites us to follow him. He wasn't just a good man, a great teacher, a wise rabbi, although he fits all those descriptions. If that was all he was, then he died as we all will. End of story. So who was he? How is he set apart from other good teachers, great women and wise leaders? When we accept his invitation to follow him, we're treading in the footsteps of the divine because Jesus is God too. As he walked the earth, he was fully human and fully divine. And if I can't wrap my head around that, then it doesn't mean it isn't true. I have to set my faith gear in action. I have to remind myself that I don't need to understand how he was fully human and fully divine for it to be true. Jesus had all the temptations I have. Some of them chronicled, like when he was in the desert and Satan paid him a courtesy call just to see if he was corruptible. Others occurring behind the scenes in his daily life with his family, friends, and disciples. People must have had him thinking and feeling less than gentle thoughts, but we're told he was without sin. Temptation isn't a sin. Jesus, the human, was tempted. Knowing he was once human makes him approachable for me. When I lean on his divine strength, then I can get through my temptations with his help. When I approach the high priest, I can do so with confidence that I will receive mercy and find grace to help me in my time of need. Hold hands with Jesus the man and Jesus the Lord. Accept his salvific gift. Good morning. And good afternoon. Welcome to The Social Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenney. My guest this week is returning for another visit with me, this time to talk about her latest book. Diane Flynn-Keith is the homeschooling mum with boys who broke all the traditional rules of engagement when it came to preparing them for college and life. During the hour, I'll also be talking about how I taught fidgety children, the saga of building fences, quitting jobs, and I will make an attempt at describing the canyon I visited with my rock-climbing son. So grab a cuppa and a tasty treat, mine's a Madeleine this morning, and join me as I think about voting early for the first time as an American. A Madeleine? Well, that's a small sponge cake dipped in strawberry jam and rolled in coconut before being topped with a cherry, completely made from scratch. Try one. There are three of us in our family who will be voting for the first time this year, and it's a bit of a letdown. All I can say is, in England, I vote for the party that most closely aligns with my biblical worldview and family life. Next week, as I approach the voting polls early with my girls, all I can do is the same – I'm voting for a party, not an individual. Interestingly enough, though, a friend and I were discussing the six criteria to claim a biblical worldview, but we won't get into those this week. You can Google it as homework or own work, as we used to call it at Wildflower Academy. All school was homework, my children rightfully pointed out. Some of my listeners have asked me to talk about how I managed my with wiggly, squiggly boys in my basement classroom. Balls and chains work really well, if you can tolerate the clanging. But joking aside, I think with four children, or any number of children for that matter, boys aren't the only culprits when it comes to gazing longingly at the outdoors and just having to be out in it. Even my dog got antsy when asked to stay inside for hours on end. He had to have a chance to fetch balls, chase squirrels, and get his paws muddy at least once an hour. That was his job. This is why we homeschool, so our children can learn in their favorite environments, be it in the car, while riding a bike, climbing trees, or skinning snakes. We need to adapt to their learning styles. There was a lot of baggage when I started homeschooling. Anyone who has sent their child to a private or public school before treading the waters of do-it-yourself education will suffer the slings and arrows of labels. I, for one, view labels with suspicion. I learned in the corporate world to always consider the source when a label came barreling my way. I knew I was inheriting a diagnosed fidget bum, and I began to analyze the characteristics of the teachers who were doing the complaining about my young child. Did they have children themselves? What were their personalities like? Were they quiet, shy types, or rambunctious? Were they artistic or voluble? Did they have Italian blood cursing through their veins or Irish or both? What was acceptable as healthy behavior in our large house with its back 40 was totally frowned upon in the 50 by 30 confines of a Montessori classroom where even whispering was considered loud. My child was being penalized for being himself and I was being asked to do something about it because he was disrupting the class. Can I take him to a behavioral specialist? Get him some magic white pills to calm him down? Otherwise, they would have to ask me to remove my son from the school. Expelled at five. How ridiculous is that? At the time, I was part of corporate America, and the threat affected me. What would I do without the Montessori classroom, the after-school care, the discipline I supposed my child needed? So... We became a pill-popping family, but I do have to say this. When I decided to homeschool and lug in all the baggage with it, I hung on to some wise words spoken by the doctor we took our child to. He said we had to remember our child was six. Well, he was five when we first met. Now he was six. And all six-year-olds have a tendency to fidgety in the right environment. So what did I do when I was at home all the time with my disruptive child? because that was the label he was awarded and carried with him through second grade. I considered him highly intelligent. His questions and interruptions were signs of showing off the bright side, a display of genius that is very obvious. He'd probably been bored at school with his lackluster teachers who just wanted to get through the day, but that's not true either. He was medicated, so his teachers thought he was brilliant under the influence. I was going to toss all his meds, although their street value was pretty high, I was told, and curriculum had to be bought, but nope. His doctor added a codicil to all the healthy, wiggly, normal behavior for an eight-year-old talk. He told me that the distractions could begin to hamper my child's personal life. Things like losing his shoes, or not being able to concentrate on his math problems, or unable to make a cake from scratch without doing two or three other projects and forgetting the eggs. Not finishing anything or not remembering what had been what he'd been sent into the other room for could get very frustrating for him and me and ruin Saturday morning cartoons. Sometimes those teeny weeny white tablets given in the correct dosage and at the right time were miracle workers when he had to take them for an outside test, for example. For the most part, the real child with his multitasking and diversity burst forth regularly. Challenge is the key. New ideas, new thoughts, new methods, new skills were essential, not only for fidget bum, but for all the students in my class. Repetition, worksheets, math facts, desk work was a death toll on learning in my house for the majority of my children most of the time. My oldest wanted to be an astronaut, and I knew this nine-year-old would one day land on the space station. I just knew it. On our journey towards space, we learned calculus and physics, Latin and logic. He tossed so many balls in the air, I was dazzled. I enjoyed his quiet focus times almost as much as his random, wild, abandoned moments of sheer genius. I spent many uplifting minutes with him in his room, poring over Latin or wavelengths or both and told him he could do anything he wanted. Anything, he'd ask. Anything, I'd say, glowing with pride. Then at 13, he changed his dream and is now a pretty brilliant film editor and moving forward. He's able to hold in his head multiple scenes to be broken apart, put back together again and synced with dialogue or music without making a note on paper. Can you do that? Nope. Neither can I. But my fidget bum son can and makes money doing it. He took me on a scary ride outside my comfort zone and we both learned a lot. Our children will not always do things the way we do. We need to be flexible, not impose only our wills. They may as well be in a one size fits all institution if that's the way we run our home school. It's supposed to be for everyone. This lifestyle, isn't it? A couple of my other children were equally as challenging and needed to be outside doing things with their hands. Calculus and Latin held no interest for them. They didn't want to go to outer space. They hated workshops. They hated worksheets. They hated pop quizzes, memorizing facts and long writing assignments. My oldest daughter was happy to lie on the carpet with her books open in front of her for hours. I had to make her take the air. But we're not talking about the perfect student here who can sit for hours on end and take in the beauty of her surroundings while taking a covert nap. Changing the environment when the going gets tough is the key to successful learning. I discovered that team sports was not the answer to get my children out and letting off steam. They tended to isolate themselves on the field and run wild, oblivious of the game trying to go on around them. Instead, We enrolled in gymnastics which allowed each individual to shine within the team, a much more attractive proposition for my limelight-seeking offspring who practiced handstands, balance beam, mushroom skills for hours at home, allowing me a generous window of time to drill math facts into them. Even now, my children excel as individuals in group projects. My film editor's expertise combines with his director's choices. My rock climber's strength, which only he can build, furthers the team rating when he achieves a V10, an extremely challenging climb. My dancer daughter's dedication to perfect her timing and technique so that the company flows across the stage as one body when performing. Focus comes to play when it is needed the most. Children have to be inspired. They have to be fully invested. They have to want to succeed. No good if we want to be successful through them. Go bark up your own tree for that. In conjunction with gymnastics and dance, theatre worked really well for us, but I don't have time to go into all of the theatre stuff and I've covered it somewhere else before as well. So perhaps we'll go to theatre next week, but right now I have to go on a break and I'll be back with my guests after this.
1: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on DoggyNet.com. Get ready for resources, tools, and support to help you build a successful business and live an awesome life. It's the Women's Business Success Show with your host, founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each show will feature a special guest interview. Tara will bring you highly successful entrepreneurs sharing their stories of success. You'll hear about the challenges they faced along their journey, together with the advice they have to help you achieve more. You'll also hear from various personal and business development experts sharing tips, solutions, and strategies that you can easily implement into your business and life for amazing results. For more on Tara and her show, check out her website, com. Then join us for the Women's Business Success Show with your host, the founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Togineck. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney.
2: I'm delighted to welcome Diane Finkeith keith back to my show after almost 18 months. Diane is editor-in-chief of HomeFires.com, a website devoted to kindling a lifelong love of learning. Through her website, she empowers parents around the world with the support and resources needed to help their children get a meaningful education at home. As an alternative education specialist, Diane is an expert in education outside the traditional classroom walls and has written car schooling, over 350 entertaining activities to turn travel time into learning time. We're going to be talking about her latest book, Papa's Pearls, and how strongly her life as a homeschooling mother of boys was influenced by her father's gift of love and wisdom. Hello,
3: Diane. Hi, Vivian. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, good. I, I, I heard some static, just as you said hello. Oh, <laughs> anyway, no, no. I, I <laughs> thank you. Thank you for welcoming to the program, and thanks for that great introduction.
2: Well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining me this morning. All right, Diane, well, you've, um, well how have you been? Let's say, let's say this. How have you been? Because I know it's been a rough year for you last year and or this year perhaps as well. So how, how, how has life
3: been? Oh, it's, you know, life is <laughs> life is a journey, right, Vivian? And yes. just you you experience things. Some are happy, some are sad. Y- you know, some are exciting, some are dull and boring. And and you just learn from every experience. So this has been a time for. Um, learning, it's been emotional because, um, just so that anyone listening understands, my father passed, who I loved very much, passed away last, um, December. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so this, you know, that year after someone passes is, can be, you know, a a difficult time as you wrestle with the emotions of just not having them there, you know? So, um, but he was such a joyous and incredible Individual. He was Mm -hmm. just so positive and everything he did was so inspirational and uplifting that that's really what my memories are, are focused on. And so I'm, I'm in this constant state of just feeling so blessed by having a dad like him. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's really just his, his presence in my life, my, my presence in his life just, you know, made i've had so much time to re-examine the things that he said and did and how it influenced my own life and the decisions that i've made as well as the you know the lives of the rest of the members of our family and the grandchildren and all that so um it's it's been a ride (laughs) yeah yeah well i i know
2: last year i went to england to um Look after my mum, and within four days of my arriving, she died. Yeah, and so I spent the whole. We decided that we were going to go for a year, so we decided that we would stay for the year. My husband and I, and I spent that whole year. It was wonderful, um, going through their their things. They didn't have that much, but they had a lot, and that was you know, some days I'd be going through and all kinds of memories came flooding back. And it was just wonderful. And little things that I found that they kept, you know, they, they had this little treasure box for each one of my, you know, for myself and my brother. And I was just surprised at some of the things that they kept. And I was thinking, I wonder why they kept that. <laughs> and, it, and it made me think, my mother has a, had a top drawer in, in her bedside locker. She had all kinds of little keepsakes in there from over the years. I, have exa- I do exactly the same thing. My top drawer of my bedside locker has exactly the same little things that are, oh, I'll just put that in there because then I'll <laughs> know where that is. And I thought, I would love to go through that with my children yeah and just take everything out and, and let them know what each thing was because I was guessing what yeah, right. some of, you know what some of those things
3: were and I thought oh that would be that would be a, a very oh I think that term. would be so meaningful what a wonderful yeah. thing to do it's yeah. sort of like when you have a live memorial for somebody you'd know for example for those people who sometimes know that they're you know their loved ones are dying mm-hmm. and they have a live memorial where they all gather together the family and mm-hmm. they express how much that person has meant to them and mm-hmm. that person gets to hear it I mean mm-hmm. what a gift that is I mean, I remember doing that with my husband's mom as she yep. was dying from uh, breast cancer and yep. and the whole family gathered and just let her know what she meant to them and yep. I, I'm not it prolonged her life for another six months it, it really uh, did
2: that's wonderful yeah. now you um, have written a book called Papa's Pearls and in it you have um, shared with your readers um, some wonderful words of wisdom that um, took your father through his life and helped you and your siblings, and the grandchildren, and anybody else that came into his, his, his realm, I'm sure, yeah, through their lives, and while you were writing it while he was still alive, yes. so you were able to probably share some of what you were writing with him.
3: Yes. Yes? I, I actually right. read a, a rough draft to him on yes. Father's Day in 2011, so a year ago, Father's Day, right. and um, it, it was just an incredible experience to be able to read it to him, to get... Um, to get acknowledgement and affirmation that yes, this is really what he was trying to impart to us. It was a very emotional thing. I was surprised because he was he was very weak even at that time, but he he listened, He was able to listen to the entire reading. Mm-hmm. I kept pausing and saying, "Do you want to continue?" And yes, yes, he wanted to, and I could just tell that it meant so much to him mm-hmm. to have. Um, that, that, the things that he had said we had really taken to heart and that we had unfolded somehow into our lives. And I said to him, I think I need to share this with other people because what you said certainly helped all of us, but, and the people that you came in contact, let's share it with many more people so they can have very productive and happy and meaningful lives. And he was very touched by that and, um, I know I, as I was, You know, talking to him, and and he was saying that he said he said I think it's a good idea, Di. And he said he said you know this world, and he he kind of choked up, and he was shaking his head really sadly from side to side, and he said they don't know. He said Mm -hmm. they don't know they're loved. You got to tell them they're loved, and tell Mm -hmm. them to say it every day to their families. Mm -hmm. And then he sort of regained his composure, and he looked right at me with his sparkling blue eyes, Mm -hmm. looking into mine, and he said. He said, I love you. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, it, you know, even now I get for clumped when I tell the story. Yeah. But he was, just, that's who he was. He was, you know, about uh, bringing love into people's lives. And that's what he did on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And he was He
2: was a very um, affectionate um, father. And he yeah. had a wonderful way of waking you up. You say in your book that you never had the clang of an alarm clock. <laughs> tell us how he'd come and wake you up.
3: Yeah, he... Um, every day of our school lives from the time we started school so that would have been kindergarten and first grade all the way through probably until um you know i would say maybe sophomore junior year of high school um the way he would wake us up was first of all he he because he was um, you know he was an entrepreneur, and he had his own business, so he spent a, he, he spent a lot of time working and so we didn 't have a lot of time to connect at night because you know we 'd have dinner around the dinner table, connect there, and then he usually had paperwork to do or plans to draw and, and my brother, sister, and I had homework to do, so we, we really didn 't get to interact with them that much at night, but he wanted to make a connection with us, so what he would do is he 'd get up an hour early every morning on school days so that he could get ready for work and then he'd come in to eat you know to each of us and he'd sit on the edge of our beds just very gently and he'd say very kind of whisper it's time for a back rub and Mm -hmm. then he he would just massage our backs and while he was massaging our backs he'd instill these little affirmations but and which i could talk about in a minute but he he um he did that for my brother and my sister and I every single morning of our school lives mm-hmm. and, and you know there 's one hundred and eighty days in a school year you times that by three kids and you get over five hundred of given every every year mm-hmm. and the other thing was was that whenever we were um, Whenever we were upset or depressed or unhappy or lonely or whatever it was, we knew if we stood with our backs to him that he would just start massaging our backs yeah. and, um, and just make us feel so much better. And he, he learned that from his own father who was a fight promoter and he used to rub down the fighters and including my dad, you know, whenever they were feeling blue or down or things just hadn't gone that well in the ring or whatever. And of course, um, fight promoters always instill these affirmations in their fighters, so it was something he learned i 'm sure in the boxing ring, and then just brought into our own lives at at home and mm-hmm. so we never ever woke to the blare of an alarm clock, as i mm-hmm. said and and um it, 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 whenever he said it's time for a rub, we just knew that was my time to get up and get ready for school, and he would just mm-hmm. sometimes he'd have um sometimes he'd tell us it was it was our lucky day, and we'd get two back rubs. <laughs> <laughs> So it was So you just, said as
2: as he was rubbing your back he would um you know do say affirming things to you what would what would oh, he say
3: things like he he'd say um I think you're terrific. Um, You can do or be anything you want in this life. Just believe in yourself and your ability to accomplish whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Or he'd say, um, your mother and I love you and will always be here for you, and if you never need anything or help at all, just ask. Mm -hmm. And he'd say, don't let anyone else tell you who you are or what you're capable of doing. You have everything it takes to succeed in life. You've got all the smarts and talent you need. And, you know, I I heard you i I heard your introduction this morning, and it sounded to me like you've been telling your children the same thing. you can do whatever you want and this anything yes anything. Mm-hmm. But you That's need right. somebody to instill that in you and to give you that positive reinforcement. I think we do that with little kids, Vivian, a whole lot. But mm-hmm. somehow when they turn six or seven, we think that they, they don't need that kind of encouragement anymore. And you need that kind of encouragement all your life.
2: Well, yes, I know. My children are getting, you know, a little bit older now. And, and they comment that, oh, mom and dad treat us like, like adults now. They no longer treat us like children. And we, <laughs> we step back and we say to them, well, we agree with your decision because we trust your judgment. You know, we you've had you've had a, you know, sort of a good foundation and you've had good role models and you know, we might not kind of Think that <laughs> what you're wanting to do is the brightest thing in the world, but we'll stand by you, we'll support you, because if anybody can make it work, you can make it work. And they, yeah. they you know, instead of telling them you do, you know, no, I think that's stupid or whatever, they, we just go on and tell them that it'll work.
3: We're, yeah, we're you're, there. yeah, you're we say you're instilling confidence yeah, but, in right. them but, yeah. that they have the ability to accomplish what they want in their lives, and boy, that just that that just that gives you a head start in life. I think when you have yes. that kind of um, you know the, the positive reinforcement,
2: mm-hmm. it absolutely does. And your father used positive reinforcement in all walks of life. Yes, correct. He, yes. he used it when he was when he was sick, and um, he used it when he was a struggling young man. Uh, new father and um, we're having to go on a break now for a few moments so when we come back um, let's talk about um, some of the things that your father said to kind of encourage you to maybe step outside your comfort zone so we'll be back in just a few moments
1: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these.
0: What time is it? It's Milf and Cookies time. Join the rowdy and fun world of Shannon and Amy, two moms I'd like to Facebook, and catch a glimpse of these two best friends as they enjoy their Milf status and devise ways to keep it. They, along with their special guests, will happily reveal their best kept secrets on how to feel beautiful from the inside out. Some of the fun segments include Happy Hour with Skinny Girl Margaritas, Confessions of a Bad Eater, Making Your Own Money is So Hot, Thanks for keeping your milk status. And don't forget the cookies. We're still moms after all. And best friends are like a good brawl. They never leave you hanging. Shannon represents the ladies in their 40s and is also a woman who came into her cool status late in life after a good long run with a glee club. Amy, on the other hand, is walking the 30 set and as a high school cheerleader has pretty much been cool her whole life. Hook up with host Shannon and Amy every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. Central for MILF and Cookies here on the Rockstar Radio Network.
1: For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the sociable homeschooler on Toggenburg, and now back to your host Vivian McNenny.
2: So, Diane, your father used to ask, "What's the worst thing that can happen when <laughs> perhaps somebody was worried about taking a step, you know, outside their comfort zone, or yeah. perhaps?" Uh, I don't know, some school situation that they weren't happy with or they felt they were being challenged by. So um, what, what, what what was his
3: idea behind that? Well, he said that, I think, to help put, help us put things into perspective, because it came from his own experience in school. Um, you know, he never really particularly cared for school at all, and he had a, a life that was, um, very thrilling. He did some, some things that, you know, he was hanging around with some hoodlums and stuff, and so, I mean, his, his life was seat of the pants, edge, you know, edge of your seat kind mm-hmm. of a living, and, and school couldn't compare to, to the, his real life experiences, but he had to go nevertheless. And when he was about 15, Um, He was talking in class, and the teacher whacked him with a ruler. Now, in in those days, that was perfectly acceptable, Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't acceptable to him. He he valued himself, and there was no way he was going to allow that teacher to treat him that way. And so he grabbed the ruler out of her hand, and he chased her around the classroom and down the hallway in the school uh, where he was confronted by the principal. And I remember asking him, what did you think would happen? What were you going to do if you caught her? And he said, you know, I don't know. I just knew that I didn't want to be treated that way. Yeah. But when he, when he confronted the principal, or the principal confronted him, the principal said to him, you're going to be punished. And what's the worst possible thing that could happen to you, Carol? My dad's name was Carol. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, And he he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, would it be worse if you got expelled from high school for a couple of weeks, or would it be worse if we sent you to continuation school? Now, in those days, continuation school was a place where the really bad boys and delinquents went. And he didn't want to bring that kind of shame or humiliation on himself or his family. Mm -hmm. And so he said to the principal, the worst thing that could happen would be continuation school. And so the principal said, then that's exactly where you go. Uh, so it wasn't like he had a really a choice anyway, I don't think. Yeah. I think the principal fully intended to send him there in the first place. But mm-hmm. So he went to continuation school, and it, it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to him, according to him, because he learned all kinds of useful trade and mechanical skills, which then he used later in his life, you know, when, when he um, developed a career in a business. And um, and it just kind of turned him around. And so, whenever I was faced with a tough situation or I had to make a difficult decision, he'd always ask that question. He'd say, "What's the worst that could possibly happen if you do this?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, if you can identify the fear that's behind your anxiety, that sort of blocks you from moving forward or for taking a chance or a risk, and you can confront it head on, then you can sort of move past it and." Mm-hmm. I think some of us may have fear of failure. A lot of people have fear of failure. But you have to look at that and say, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen if you fail? Is it humiliation? Is it shame? Is it regret? Is it unhappiness? Um, and I think, Vivian, I know you, and, you and, and me, we've experienced these things before in our lives. You can't mm-hmm. live and not have experienced these things. No, that's I mean, right. most of us have at one time or another. So what happened when you experienced those things? Did you survive? Did you have to eat humble pie and apologize to somebody? Um, did someone laugh at you? Did you turn 50 shades of red? Did mm-hmm. you sit in your room for a week all depressed and refuse to see the light of day and... If you did what happened when you came out of your room? Mm-hmm. I mean did you, did, you, did the sky fall out of the sky and the world come to an end I know. What, what really happened when that happened, and what lessons did you learn and so then, when you start to think about that and really confront the fear what 's holding you back what 's making you say ooh i don 't want to do this or it 's just too hard or whatever." Then you can say to yourself, I've done this before, I've failed before, I could go through that again, or I couldn't go through that again, and ask yourself, is it worth the risk? And I think most of the time when you really, when you, really, um, you know, think about it, it probably is worth the risk. Mm-hmm. It's the fear of the unknown that stops us. But if you can just play the possible scenarios out in your head in advance, it can help you face whatever it is with courage and determination.
2: Well, and that's the thing, and I think actually being in that situation that you think would be the worst thing that can ever happen or that could happen to you isn't ever as bad as being on the outside anticipating. Right. Don't you think? I mean, when you're actually thinking, oh, I could never go through all of that grief or all of that worry, and when you are going through it, yes, it might be really, really hard, but you you realise that you're not on your own. Usually, you know, right. you can you can one you can turn to God. Two, you you probably got a partner or a friend or a family member who can help support you and your own, as you say, your own experiences that you can fall back on.
3: <laughs> it's true. I, I do have a funny personal story, and I don't know that it really has a moral to it. But do you have time? Yeah. Okay. So I I remember with I was with my husband and we were um, on vacation. And this was back in the days when smoking was still allowed in restaurants in California, mm-hmm. so cigarette smoking. And I had just about had it with people blowing smoke in my face when I went to a fancy restaurant was paying a lot of money for a good meal. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I went to a fancy We were celebrating our anniversary, went to a fancy restaurant, and I said to him, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen if, if somebody starts smoking next to me and I just ask them to stop smoking? I mean, all they could do is say no, right? Yes. Yeah. So so I said I I'm going to do it you know next time I I, I want to be able to enjoy my meal so we sit out at the restaurant and the, there, it was a tiny restaurant, and the the seating people were really uh, crowded. So the the person sitting next to me, the the couple sitting next to us, was maybe three feet away from me if I'm lucky. And she, the woman who was a, a you know probably about 50 years old, and I was about 30 at the time. So she had a cigarette in her hand, and she the cigarette was in her um, hand that was facing me. And so she would lean over, and her hand would waft out, and the smoke from the cigarette would waft up my nose. And we were just about out to be served, and I said to Cliff, I'm going to ask her to just move her cigarette from her left hand into her right so the smoke goes in the other direction. So I did. I mean, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she looked at me and nodded and moved her cigarette to the other hand, and she just gave me one of these grimacy kinds of grins, like, just a sour look. But she did it, and I went, oh, good. Well, all of a sudden, I could sense that her body was tensing up. And in another 30 seconds, she was on her feet, screaming at me at the top for lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who do you think you are, you little brat, asking me? I can smoke in this restaurant. I come to this restaurant all the time. She went on and on for probably three, three minutes. And the whole then she stormed out. And the whole restaurant is like dead silence. And her husband leans over to us, my husband and I, and said, "You know, you couldn't have known this, but I've been trying to get her to quit smoking for years." Oh no! <laughs> so I really hit a nerve with her. But yeah. the worst part was, okay, so I didn't feel unjustified in just asking because I was polite as I possibly could be about it, and and uh, it was embarrassing because, like I said, the whole restaurant just stopped. Everybody was staring at us. The waiter came over and he said, "She's one of our best customers. Why don't you buy her a drink?" She's in the bar. And my husband and I just went, I don't think so. You know, she, our meal has been ruined. Just pack up our food. So we went back to our hotel room and ate our, <laughs> ate oh. our dinner in the hotel room. But, I mean, so, like, yeah, bad things can happen, yeah. you know. And that was that was way worse than what I expected. But we yeah, survived but you, know, you know what? You don't know. What happened afterwards, I don't right, you see,
2: so you have no idea what your little outburst or what your little request um, <laughs> led to, and just just think positively that it led to something good, and she gave up smoking and well,
3: obviously. yeah, and my husband and I had a nice evening in our hotel room, and I was fine, you know, yep. but uh, I mean so sometimes stuff happens and you just deal with it in life yep. and and it's okay it's okay
2: well, um, Diane, tell us about your father had now, uh, this really appealed to me. He had what he called a foxy pocket. And it's not really always a pocket, but go ahead and tell us what it is.
3: Yeah, well, in the wild, a uh, fox will, uh, like, say, find a duck's egg and then they'll take it to another location and bury it and save it for a later meal. So my father used to tell us, always keep a foxy pocket. Mm -hmm. And he said, whenever you get a little windfall of money um, or a little, you have a little extra cash left over from a purchase or something like that, take that money that you weren't expecting to receive and put it away in a foxy pocket. So he always happened to keep what his foxy pocket was a pocket in the shirt um, that he had hanging in his closet. Mm -hmm. And so he would just keep the money in there Mm -hmm. and, so that was his foxy pocket, and whenever somebody needed a little extra help or a little um you know just something to get him, move them move along, he would use go to his foxy pocket, pull out you know whatever was in there, and you know give it to that person to to help them now what he did in our lives was he it was usually when I was older that I really became very much aware of the foxy pocket because uh, when by the time we moved out on our loan, you know, kids, you know, it's hard when you first move mm-hmm. out on your own. And, you know, you got to pay for the groceries and the utilities and the rent and, you know, the car payments and all that kind of stuff. And occasionally I'd see him and he says, oh, here's a little something from my po- poxy pocket to help you out. And it inevitably always came at a time when I absolutely needed it. I was just, I was, you know, maybe had probably five bucks in my checking account or something like that, yeah. if that. And, and he would give it to me and it could have been $20, you know, whatever it was. It, it just really gave me a little breathing room and, um, and he would say, uh, I, I would always, you know, thank him and tell him how much I appreciated it and that he didn't need to do it. But it, the foxy pocket was something I knew it wasn't the money he needed. It was this extra money that he kept just for these kinds of occasions. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I, I would thank him and he'd say, charity begins at home. So mm-hmm. he passed along these little idioms as well as, you know, having his own little thing about keeping a foxy pocket. Mm-hmm. And um, he used his foxy pocket to help many, many people, um, and uh I, I i actually do you have that one? In some detail What pardon me do you have a foxy pocket I do. I always keep yeah. a foxy pocket, yeah. and that's exactly when my kids are adults now, and and they struggle, you know, and, and when I see them, sometimes now, I mean, $20 back then was like 100 now, so, you know, I'll pull a $100 bill out and just hand it to them, and it's not, they don't expect it. It comes usually at a time when, after I've had a conversation with them, and I can just, you know how as a mother, yeah. you can just sort of tell when somebody needs a little extra help, a little mm-hmm. boost, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll just... Hand it very quietly to them and say, "Here's a little something from my pox, boxy pocket to help you," and they're always grateful to receive it. It's a, you know, it's a gift, and it doesn't hurt me, and it helps them. So, yeah. Well, that's a
2: great story, Diane. And um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit. We'll have about five minutes about um, one of my listeners has a fidget, a fidget problem. And I know you have a couple of good ideas on that. But up until the break, I, I want to just let everybody know that they can go and um, purchase Papa's Piles. Can, can we get it? Is it on
3: Amazon? Um, it is on Amazon. It's available okay. in a hard copy version on Amazon.com. It's also available for Kindle, so for iPad and okay. iPhone, and you know whatever whatever kind of electronic device you're using. Yeah, and uh, so Kindle is. I mean, it's all available at Amazon.com. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Yeah. Sure.
1: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Are you yearning to connect with those close to you who have passed on? Do you feel you'd be more at peace or more in balance in your life if you could only have that connection? Now you do. It's time for Alex Laws and the Alex Laws Hour. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Alex discovered an incredible balance that allowed him to listen and receive messages from the other side. Not your traditional psychic medium. Alex has spent the last 27 years as an endurance athlete and entrepreneur. At the core of Alex's abilities is his knowing that in order to open one's soul to the universe, one must open their heart to being authentic. The wisdom Alex has shared from those beyond the veil has helped at an international level and changed people's lives and sometimes, too, their direction in life. Need help with your life or business direction? Tap into the spiritual realm of Alex Laws. For more information, check out AlexLaws.com. Then join us for the Alex Laws Hour with Alex Laws, Wednesdays at 2 p.m.
0: Central, here on The Rock. Star Radio Network
2: and there's no stopping
0: us. Join host Kalen Amadio for Act Local, marketing for small business. Kalen helps concerned, confused, and even clueless small business entrepreneurs market simply, safely, and successfully. Join Kalen for some Monday morning marketing madness that will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the Internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. Whether you need help with online media, social media, video or mobile marketing for your local business this Marketing Black Belt will guide you into the 21st century with easy tips, tricks and techniques that get your local business seen and heard. Each week Kalen will feature a new tip that you can use today. As well as a range of guest experts who are passionate about helping local business owners thrive. Act Local Marketing for Small Business airs every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Standard Time on the Rockstar Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian Mcnenny, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginek. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
2: So Diane, I do have links on my Toginet webpage um, for a couple of your sites, um, and this one, the Poppers Pearls, is PoppersPearls dot com, and they right. can go there and just get directed as to how to buy the book.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, is that
2: that's right? true. Yeah. Yes,
3: absolutely. Yeah, in fact, right. they can get an so, autographed so been- copy from me there. Yeah.
2: All right. So we've been talking about um, um, Diane Flynn Keith's uh, latest book, Papa's Pearls, all these wonderful words of wisdom. I recommend it highly. Just go in. It's not a great big book. It's a wonderful book to have by the side of your bed. You can read a chapter just before you fall asleep and you've got these wonderful words of wisdom in there. And um, Diane, um, let me ask you something before you leave. You had two boys, and I know that not all boys are fidgety, and not only boys are fidgety, and they like to learn in different ways. What were some, or a couple of the things that you did if your child decided that they really did not want to sit and do another worksheet or finish another math book? They wanted to be outside, they wanted to be doing something else.
3: Yeah, and you know, Vivian, I had very, very fidgety kids. I mm-hmm. I always say one of my sons, the oldest one, he didn't sleep as a baby, and he no. also was one of these kids that if you sat down to eat a meal, he'd take a bite, then he'd stand up, dance around, little sit down, take a bite, stand up, sit around. I mean, there was uh-huh. no way. He he had to move to do everything. Mm-hmm. So he was just hardwired to have to do that, and I think parents really need to take a look at that first and say, look, they may do, the What is their learning style? How are they hardwired? And there's that wonderful book called Discover Your Child's Learning Style by Maria Emma Willis and Victoria Hodson, uh, Kendall Hodson, and mm-hmm. they help parents identify, they have an assessment in there that you can determine the learning style of your kid. It goes way beyond just modalities like, you know, uh, visual or auditory or um, kinesthetic, and it really helps you figure out how they learn best and what the best way is to reach them. Mm-hmm. So with my kids, definitely workbooks just didn't work for them, um, but they needed to know their math facts. Mm-hmm. So how do we how how do we do that? You have to get really creative because I think, unfortunately, most of us have been schooled, so we assume that this is the only way to deliver the information is to do it with this you know, drill and practice worksheets. And for some kids, it does work, but for those that it doesn't and they're fidgety and they want to move, you, you have to address their needs and find out how, how to incorporate this in a way that that they can use to process the information and retain it, and, and so for my kids, one of the things that one of them did was um, uh, sleight of hand magic tricks, and because he was interested in that and in performing magic as a magician, he would um, he, he had to learn his multiplication tables, for example, because so many card tricks uh, require them, and in, in, in yeah. Um, yeah as a magician, so yeah. that was one way that he would do it. But the other thing is, is that. You know, you can do a lot of... We took the, um, the Guinness Book of world, world Records and we spent probably an entire year just examining what those world records were and especially the ones that required physical movement, like how high can you jump, how far can you run, how long can you stand on one leg, you know, and so that, that, then we got measurement involved in those kinds of things and mathematics and, well, if you did that in this many minutes, how long would it take you to get this far in, you know... 20 more minutes, right? So we can incorporate the math and problem solving into fun activities. I mean, you can jump rope and practice your multiplication tables, right? Sure, um, yeah. Board games are fantastic ways for for kids to um, to learn Many wrote facts and a lot of us just don't think that playing a game is learning, but it truly is. And a kid learns best through play and through games and through using their imaginations. So whatever, we just like to think outside the box a lot when it came to insisting that they, that they, um, you know, learn, like for instance, what I want to say here is that I felt that we had three The minimum criteria in our house was that they had to learn to read, they had to learn to communicate their thoughts in writing, legibly in writing, and they had to be able to know enough consumer math not to be cheated or fooled. And we figured that if they knew those three basic things, then the rest was gravy. Mm. So we didn't stress out a lot or harp a lot on on um, academic curriculum that you would typically find in school. And it turned out that a lot of the things they learned through the activities they did, and mine, like yours, were very involved in gymnastics and very involved in the circus arts. Mm. But the things they learned from doing that, I mean, there there's a lot of triangulation and geometry involved in yeah. circus arts, trust me. That's so, right. And gymnastics is spatial awareness you have to have, right? Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, right. so right. so there's a lot of way to incorporate these things into our lives without following this um this rote workbook stuff. But for yeah. those who, who insist on doing it, you've got to give those kids plenty of breaks. In my experience coaching parents, Vivian, um, I see a lot of boys coming into homeschool when they hit about third grade. Well if you take a look at a little boy's body in third grade it, when they're seven, eight years old, their upper backs and, and arms start to mature, start to gain more musculature. And what do they do naturally if you leave them alone? They pick up sticks and they hit stuff with it. Mm-hmm. They pick mm-hmm. up bats and they hit balls. And it's all biologically driven to help enable the development of that musculature that is so important to a little boy's body,
1: right? he yeah. Yeah.
3: becomes a man. Yeah. So what do we do? We sit them at the desk when little boys have very little fat on their families and we insist that they just sit there quietly and, and not move. Yeah. And it's total counterintuitive to what they're biologically driven to do at that time. Yeah. So you have to take those things into consideration and then, and then find ways to allow them, okay, so if they really need to hit with sticks or bat balls, you can count. You can do multiplication tables while you're doing that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sitting down at a desk with a pen and pencil. Yeah. So you've got to
2: get creative, right? Absolutely, Diane. And um, I'm afraid we've run out of time, but you know what? I'm going to give our our listeners a couple of websites that they can go to and and, um, learn some more of your um, tips on teaching those children in a different way. I've been talking to Diane Finkeith, mother of two grown boys who survived their teen years without a high school. Diane coaches thousands of parents and has helpful websites, including homefires.com, Carschooling.com and now PapasPearls.com, and she enjoys encouraging parents to rethink, redefine, and reinvent this teen—not only the teen years, but all of those years that you're educating your child at home. We talked about her new book, Papas Pearls, filled with her late father's set of immutable truths that he used as guidelines for an extraordinary life and um, thank you Diane so much for joining me today
3: this morning. You're welcome and I'm so sad that our time is so short together because I so enjoy your show Vivian and talking to you. Well thank you and we'll have to talk again. Okay. uh, Yeah all right
2: So you have a safe weekend Diane. Thank you so much same to you. Bye. Bye. All right well that was very very interesting and um, I am sitting here Cold. It's cold here in Texas, but it's not wet, thank goodness. And I'm looking out at the back 40, which is absolutely gorgeous. We're having to replace our fence. So we took down the old fence and we experimented for a while with a chain link so that I could see out but we didn't like it. It looked too much like a pen, so that came down. And I like the view out down to the creek through my office, so I wonder if um, the existing chain link fence that we've got running the perimeter of, of the um, part beyond our garden will suffice with the insurance for the pool. I don't know. So, no immediate fence line close to the house is very attractive at the moment. And um, But it is noisier, with the uh, sound of the toll road trundling by out there. My blue-eyed cowboy has ordered, or did order. We have all of the rest of the fence out there. I helped him bring it in this morning. That was some heavy stuff and I think I'm stronger. I'm not that strong. Uh, My zookeeper son and his fiance came over yesterday and they were admiring the vista out the back. It was the first time I'd seen him since he sent me his resignation letter. Well, he wasn't resigning from the family. No, he was resigning from his okapi duties after two and a half years of going nowhere. Such a shame that a valuable job requiring an expensive education pays slightly more than the second job my filmmaker son has to boost his savings account. Of course, his blue-eyed father and I think that our zookeeper son is absolutely insane, but then we're not 24 anymore. He and his fiance want to start their own business, training birds and putting on bird shows. She's also handed in her notice and is sensibly having tummy upsets and anxiety attacks, which my son isn't experiencing. Perhaps, as one of my friends suggested, he's seen us staying at home and managing. The only problem with that is he only sees the surface. He has no idea that we worked and still do work really hard. And we have paychecks to show for it and we save a lot okay he is an optimist and with his blue eyes and charm and stunning good looks the world is the oyster i always told him it was now we're planning a wedding and there are so many changes going on i'll not be able to moan about being stuck in a rut for at least six months in my effort to be rut bound or not to be rut bound i went back to college Only for a four-week class, though. To the amusement of my offspring, I've been a student for three weeks. So I did cry off this week's class because it was our wedding anniversary and I stayed home to drink champagne with my southern gentleman and our barista daughter. Then we went for an upscale Mexican restaurant where I won the award for best meal, although the sauce tasted a bit as though it was from the bottom of the pot. It was creamy, yum, and a little smoky. My Texan ordered quail. Yes, the biblical bird. Which I fully expected him to. He loves those fiddly pieces of meat. Give me a bonus chicken breast any day. He said the beans and rice were good, but the quail was small and, well, fiddly. When he'd eaten one, he decided to take the other one home to our daughter, and I said that it looked like a skinned squirrel, which it did. Mm. It's sitting in our fridge waiting moderation from our food expert right now. And I think that's about all I have time for. I need to go inside and find someone else to talk to. I'm off to get ingredients for lunch tomorrow. We're going to Lindale for my mother-in-law's birthday, and I've made a Bakewell cake, the new popular confection in our house. We may start the painting and winter Project next week, so I'm sure I'll be hearing about it from my arms and back. And I'll be here same time, same place next week on TogiNet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard working staff at TogiNet Radio, my guest Diane Flynn Keith, and you, my faithful listeners, especially. Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, many others, part of my growing audience. Listen to my friend Ali Lucrete at This Little Parent Stayed Home Mondays at 7, and Sandy Fowler, also on Mondays at 1. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number six, twenty-four to 26. Doot, doot, doot. Do-do-do-do-do. See you next week.
1: Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.